guys, welcome to the uh, FG Personal Training Podcast. Um, we've got a little bit of a different subject matter today. So we're going to cover ACL injuries, uh, particularly in females, um, and why and how they happen, the research around it or the lack of research around it. And then in particular, we're going to talk about Arsenal Women's Football Club, um, who have had um, uh, a spate this season just gone. They've had four um, in the same team. So, And we're going to discuss a little bit about why we think that is... Um, and 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 around that. Um, so obviously, I'm joined as always by George. Hello, George. Hello, 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 hello. Um, and we're bringing back to the podcast, Mr. Tom Little. How are we doing, Tom? Very well, thank you, Freddie. Thank you for having me, guys. Welcome, George. Or hello, George. Hello, mate. Right. So let's get cracking then. So we know women are um, are more likely to have ACL injuries. I think there's statistics like thirty odd percent um, is is some of the stuff that 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 I've read and and we're reading. Um, it's become more prominent now, particularly in the WSL, so the Women's Super League, the football. Um, there's there's a lot of talk around research, um, high-profile names. So some of you guys may have heard of Beth Mead and Leah Williams in particular. Uh, a couple of the girls that were on the Lionesses squad last year that won the Euros. Um, so a couple of high-profile names have done their ACL this year. Um, so let's start with Tom then. And uh, let's go a little bit about, um, obviously... Those that have listened to the podcast before know about your ACL injuries, but let's talk about a little bit about your background into them and then your research into it and why you and why you ended up on the podcast yeah. today. So um, I've I've had two ACLs, which is never the greatest situation. Uh, both of mine were through contact, so someone actually hitting into my legs and that causing the ruptures. Uh, whereas again, rough sort of statistics here. I think two thirds of ACLs generally go through non-contact based. So your general ACL, if you guys are aware of the mechanisms behind actually how the injury occurs, it's some form of knee displacement. So the knee either moving forward or backwards, anterior, posteriorly, or sideways. So your lateral or medial movements, um, particularly the inward sort of movements of that knee valgus, so the knee dropping in towards the centre line, and that causes the rupture. Um, so generally speaking, it's... It's not the nicest of injuries, particularly if that sort of stuff happens in terms of, yeah, non-contact based. Um, there's a few different reasons behind it in terms of particularly for the female side of things. So if you look at just generally some of the risk factors that females have in particular, one of the big ones in our sports world, I'm sure you guys both know it as S&C guys, is the Q angle. So the angle of the thigh bone particularly. In males, we're generally a little bit more vertical, so it's a bit more straighter, whereas females have wider hips, so naturally their Q angle is going to be a little bit more of a diagonal position, meaning that their knee can collapse inwards slightly, or it's more risky, it's a bit more prominent in females for that knee to go inwards. And then I've... Sorry? Oh, no, go on, sorry, yeah. yeah. I was saying something there. Um, So, yeah, so you've got the anatomical sort of side of things that increases the risk factor for females and then hormonally so again we've all got very similar hormones males and females females have slightly different levels of certain hormones compared to males and depending on their menstrual cycles it can fluctuate the levels of hormones within the body and some hormones create joint laxity that's needed for birth and things like that later on so naturally they've got that predisposition already. So those two factors, I think, are crucial sort of things that uh, they're preventable. So we can do things around that for females to make sure that they're at the best best point or best um, 
best situation so that they don't get the ACL rupture. Um, but those are two big risk factors that are predominant um, before you start looking at other things. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's really interesting. And actually, I've got a Sky Sports um, uh, article here from Dr. Emma Ross. Um, so she says um, there are just, uh, she says that there are only 6% of studies in sport and exercise are done solely on women. So obviously quite a low amount. Um, and she talks about the, um, she says here, where's the quote? Um, while some researchers attribute the injury crisis to the uh, physiological effects of the menstrual cycle, including joints becoming less stable, uh, there is not enough evidence to show a link between the menstrual cycle and injuries. And this is the problem, isn't it? So we, we know as S&C coaches, we, do, we look at that and, see, and like she says here, we do have some information about loose joints, uh, but what we don't have is the end step of whether that really does increase the risk for female injuries. So there you go. That sums it up, I think, doesn't it? Where we, we know that females have this difference in, like you say, hormonal levels and, and what that does to their bodies. And we can make a good guess at why potentially their ACLs are at greater risk but i think the issue comes with actual lack of deep research. diving research into that isn't it um, yeah we've got the research up to that point but actually we haven't got the research after that point of why why it's causing that and i think i think that i think that sums it all up six percent i mean that that shocked me when i read that to be fair yeah that's that's a really low figure and again it's it's the people that they've got available they get it's if they go for elite level athletes the world is male centric. So it's had a lot of elite level male athletes that they can potentially look at. They've got a bigger pool of people. Whereas the elite female level has, I think the WSL has only just come professional in the last two or three years. So again, can you do the research on the enough people? Is there enough pool of participants to be able to do it? And usually once it, people only do research on injuries, once they've happened to someone. So they're not doing stuff around before before the injury is happening. So we're not seeing what's occurring during the pre the build up to it. How have they been for the months before that or the years before that? Uh, which I think is always one of the hard things about research. Research is great, but it's always, there's a, there's a lot of things that you can look at and you can pick research part quite easily once you start deep diving into the actual studies themselves. Um, so as SNC coaches, I'd like to think we take it with a bit of pinch of salt and just hopefully get an understanding of, right, there is this risk. So we need to do things, put things in place to get there, which there is. Because men, if you look at how the ACL goes, the the factors to it is very similar between both male and female in terms of when you actually see the mechanisms of how it's gone. So it's not a female issue for the ACL going in terms of mechanically. So there must be something else going on around it other than just the hormonal side of it and the anatomical side of it. Mm. When you- Again, I mean, all, all the research I've looked at, they've, they've all kind of uh, made a statement, but it always ends with more, more research is needed to kind of confirm these uh, kind of um, suspicions, I guess of potentially why these could be a factor. But like Freddie said, if there's only 6% um, of studies uh, around females and this injury, then there needs to be a lot more work to be done in order to fully understand some of the mechanisms of why these injuries are so prominent. I'm also yeah. very conscious of the fact there's three men sat here talking about female <laughs> injuries. And I think that's yeah. what, there's, one, there's one of your big issues. But I think yeah. I think the, the research factors, like you said, Tom, like you take it with a pinch of salt anyway, but... 
me and George have been doing this podcast a little while and we've sat there and we've looked over so many different, so many different avenues and you can pretty much find hundreds of hundreds of reports, hundreds of journals, hundreds of books to back up what you're saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Apart from this, once you get yeah. into this, once you get into this female injuries and female ACL, you're in, you're in the guest, you're in the guest yeah. world, aren't we? It's, it's one of the things I think you learn when you go through, particularly through the university side of things and you start looking at research. Research is very pointed down. The people ask a certain question because they want to get the answer to that question. You see what I mean? So they can sort of dicta- dictate what's going to be the slight outcome. They'll know roughly what they're going into to try and find. It's a bit like watching yeah. a Netflix documentary. They kind of know what they kind of want to make out of the documentary and they're going to lead you down the path that they want to lead you down. Mm-hmm. research can be very similar so that's where it's really good to look at different researchers and find one that disagrees with what you find and seeing what participants are involved in it because the one that you might like might only have four participants in it but the one that you yeah. disprove has 40 participants in it yeah so that's where research can always be a little bit of a, a minefield for us all i think yeah agreed and but i think i think like you say, that but it can help even if it has had four participants. It can help. Yeah, it, it gives can you, help it, guide you. But I think with this this area of, of female ACL injuries, we're just in a, we're just in the complete. So I've got the uh, super training. Um, so some people call it the Bible of S and C, right? And I I literally went into it yesterday. Glossary, anterior cruciate ligament, found it. All male, all male stuff. And obviously that book's that book's fairly ancient now, to be fair. Um, but it's yeah. still a, it's still a good reference guide anyway. But nothing nothing at all on on training of it talks about loading of an acl it talks about um movement of it um how to how to look after it but really from a male perspective isn't it and there's, there's nothing on there's nothing on this and when I, i'm even like even stuff to do with the menstrual cycle i've done research on before having quite a few female athletes and young female athletes in the gym that's mm. even then like th- that's getting better but, there, but there's nothing on that so how can we how can we say that the menstrual cycle is linked to ACL injuries when there's not even enough research on the menstrual cycle on its own, let alone its let alone its factors of causing an injury. Um, and and depending on where you are in the cycle, depending on how how much at risk your ACL is. Yeah. So all those factors, the anatomical, the muscle strength, the hormonal, they're the intrinsic stuff. They're the internal stuff that's relatable to that individual. And yeah. I think they are issues and it is potentially more because of the way society's been and sport has always been sort of more male dominated and then if you think of what's the one of the main things that protects an ACL is muscle strength so building up muscle mass building up muscle strength society has always been oh you don't want a mus- females don't want to get too muscular so it's almost been sort of shunned away from doing that side of training mm-hmm. so is that leading them to that sort of heightening the risk factor in that element there? So potentially this is where you start to look at, it's not just, so they've got natural or innate sort of risk factors that are there already, but society could potentially be one of the reasons why these risk factors are even more prominent for them and why the ACL injuries are more significant for females or the numbers are more significant in females because their training background might not be quite the same as a male's training background, particularly once they get to that elite level of sport, because during their teenage they might shun away from doing that stuff, whereas young lads, teenage boys, they kind of want to go to the gym, don't they? Mm-hmm. 
I know society is changing. It's becoming better. You see nowadays in you guys are getting it as your PTs. You could probably get in a lot more uh, young females in training and doing the right sort of stuff. And I'm seeing that you go to the commercial gyms, you're seeing a lot more females training and doing strength training. Whereas 10, 15, 20 years ago, were they doing that type of stuff? And then is that one of the problems that society has at the moment? And I think, I think, I think, like leading off that as well, like society's issue, they said about that training background. But again, that comes from a societal thing of women, girls didn't have academies. There's no such thing. Like where we live in, in, in Norwich, like Norwich City have only just, um, in, uh, say they've only had a theme, like they've only had a women's first team for a couple of years. And it was only at the start of this season, they integrated them with the males, as in the women could use the same training facilities, but they're not, mm-hmm. full, they're not full time. But there's no female academy. Um, so how can you expect? So once you get to the elite level, like these lads who are getting to the elite level in football, they've had maybe 10 years already of S&C yeah. based or gym based work given to them by the yeah. clubs. The, the girls are coming in at 16, 17, 18, having done nothing. Um, yeah. I spoke to a guy called Ben Haney. You won't mind me saying this. So he works at um, a school in Cobham. Um, the name of it uh, leaves me now. It's a private school, but it's an all boys school until 16. And then he's the head of S&C there. So he's taking on elite female athletes, like girls that are on Olympic pathways and stuff. And they're coming in at 16 to his school, having never done S&C before, where all the lads have spent the last five years, six years there. And, uh, and they're, already yeah. on a, they're already on an S&C programme. He knows who they are by 16, 17. They've done, they've done five years of good, good solid S&C. Uh, it's the Reed School uh, in, in Surrey. Mm. Um, they've done five or six years of S&C. And, then, and the girls are coming in at 16, 17, 18, having done nothing. They're already they're already five years behind in in and that's not his fault and that's not the school's fault it's an all boys school but I think that that sums up society. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, and if they've already got a potential that their anatomy is going to put them at a risk, so they need stronger muscles to make sure that that risk factor is as low as it possibly can be. But then they're not they're five years behind. But then we're probably throwing them into what the same intensity of games, the same. Yeah time period in the football matches as well so fatigue levels start to kick in and that's something that again if you're not conditioned for it your fatigue your body can't adapt to that fatigue can it it can't yeah un- they haven't ad- built the general conditioning for the sport like like some of the males have because of the time i guess i mean another thing i remember speaking to you about freddie was that uh, we were kind of discussing whether or not another factor could be um about uh then maybe focusing a little too much on skill acquisition, maybe for the sport. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think um, I think I think we see that as well um, in in a lot of sports actually. Like I'm a I'm a big boxing fan, and and at the moment they're talking about because women only box ten two minute rounds, not twelve threes, and they're mm. and they're trying to push for twelve threes in women's boxing. But from an S and C point of view, I look at it and go, well, hang on a minute, if we're only just pushing women's boxing the last two, three, four years. And yeah. that, that this whole thing is around skill acquisition again. So are they actually doing their training or are they just literally just boxing and just pre- like doing, are they actually physically, physically ready? And I'm not saying that to degrade it, but are they physically ready because of, like we said, because of societal issues that have happened in the past, because of lack of training, because of lack of knowledge, because of lack of research, because <clears> of lack of whatever, are they actually like, do we just have to go, do you know what? They're, they're behind the curve and we've got to give them time. Or yeah. there's this constant push now, isn't there? That actually, women have got to be as good as the men. And it's this as good yeah. as the men. What does that even mean? Like, what does that even mean? Yeah, that's the stuff that I think at the moment is 
crucial or one of the real big sort of factors, environmental factors that are kicking in is that it's great. There's more exposure for female sport. It's getting more in the front the, the front of media and it's more on your Sky Sports and your BBC Sport and stuff like that. But then what comes with that stuff is the negative side of it is that criticism starts to come into play. So you take like boxing, for example, if you're thinking, well, you can't see them working on their their one-two combos and stuff because now, and then the analysts are complaining that they're not blocking properly or they're not striking properly. So rather than in their training session doing something for 10, 15 minutes that can help injury prevention sort of stuff, they're now going straight into a skill acquisition sort of side of it missing out on one of the fundamental foundations that they'll need for any sport, regardless of what sport they're doing. But if you're looking at boxing, you're looking at football, it could be the same again. You're complaining that the girl missed a one-on-one opportunity, so now they're working more on that side of things and they're not doing the stuff beforehand as a warm-up exercises because they're going straight into that. I think that's a great point, Freddie. I think that's right up there with one of the main reasons that it could be happening for females a lot more at the moment. And I mean, I mean, like you look at the boxing world and why do they say they want longer rounds is because there's not enough female boxing knockouts. So essentially, we want to make the rounds longer to injure them anyway. So this yeah. is it's, it's a crazy thing. I mean, our world tumble of karate, women always did two minute fights, not three. And mm. I don't know whether that, I, don't, I never knew yeah. the reason for that. Um, no, neither I, I don't, did I. I don't Age, know it's gone up to three at the elite level. Yeah, so they, that's obviously matched now, but I never knew the reason for it. I don't know if there was a good reason for it or not, whether there's any research into it or whether it's just because, I don't know, every other sport, tennis, they play less sets at Grand Slams and yes. all this kind of stuff. I don't know, but the fact it's gone up. But then again, the I, I think in our sport, that the women compete at probably a similar level to that of the men anyway. Yeah, uh, I, within our sport, within karate, I don't see a difference between elite female and elite male. When you're watching a fight, they can be as exciting as each other. There's no difference. So I think it was an arbitrary thing that some guy, some yes, yeah, some guy probably on the board of on the panel went, Oh no, female should only fight for two minutes. And then it stuck, it became a historical thing. Yeah. Like oh, George doing his Muay Thai. Do they do any different for female in Muay Thai? I don't I don't know the ins and outs of the sport. Yeah. I'm not Yeah, yeah. It's, it's again the same same as you guys with karate. It's very much the same. Mm. So, yeah, uh, but in terms of our sport, I don't see a different. I don't think there's a higher level of female ACLs that, compared to male ACLs within our sport. Um, and again, we have, particularly during your sort of as you're going up through the belts and you're going up through the grades, there's no difference between the genders, yeah, and between the sexes. Do you there. think it, it, it could be a difference in uh? The sense of for karate, Muay Thai, these are all more individual-based sports, so they might get involved at a younger age. Whilst team-based sports uh, generally tend to be uh, uh, for, say, academy students or for, uh, like, say, for, for males, especially at high school, boys might play one sport whilst females do another sport. So that general conditioning for the sport is built up uh, throughout those those years whilst with karate you kind of build up that general conditioning kind of whenever you want because you're doing it from a young age i've always said i don't want to cut your tongue but i've always said that if you look at individual sports like olympic style sports tennis even including tennis and that female male serena williams is the face of tennis for has been the face of tennis for 20 years so uh female gymnasts female like uh 100 meter runners female athletes there if you look at the sort of the olympic level i think the individual sports i think there's probably I haven't I haven't done any research into ACL, but 
I'm assuming there's going to be less because those guys have been at a top level for a long time. There's been a lot of there's been a lot of TV coverage around that, a lot of media coverage around obviously the Olympics and stuff like that. That comes around every four years. There's always female coverage. I think the issue comes in team sports. Um, you never see female cricket on TV. You never see female rugby on TV. You never see female football until two, three, four years ago. And I think yeah. I think there's your issue because I think the funding isn't. I think first and foremost is to be like funding. The funding hasn't been there to train these kids. Like there, there are probably girls now who are 10, 11 years old on GB pathways in individual sports for the Olympics. They're getting the SNC. They're getting they're getting it like like taekwondo. Tom, those guys in Manchester, yeah. it's male yeah, and female yeah. combined. But Norwich City don't have a female football academy. But yet there's a male. Yeah. There's probably a male academy down to the under sevens. So it's just a crazy. I think there's a crazy disparity in in actual team sports. I think I yeah. think that's the issue. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think yeah, I think you're right, and I think potentially it is because of the exposure in terms of the elite level is usually team sports is a lot more of a male dominated world. Again, the main team sport when I was a kid for girls was netball. I couldn't tell you the last time I saw netball on TV. You know, I mean, it's, so there is that disparity between that. Um, and then your individual sports, because they probably concentrate more on the athlete themselves, they get that opportunity to do these things around their sports. So SNC becomes an important part, particularly in your track and field events. They've they've known for years how important that sort of stuff is. Because yeah. um, there's an interesting one, because all this injury prevention sort of stuff, um, through your guys' research, have you found any of the programs that are around that have been developed they're going to be utilised in your warm-up so that it adds in the S&C element before you start doing your skill acquisition part of it. I've seen the FIFA one. I know FIFA do one. Um, yeah, and I know, just like you were talking about it the other day, yeah. And I know, I think BWL, British Weightlifting, do one, don't they, as well? Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure they do a similar type thing. Yeah, so my, some my master's on the FIFA 11 Plus, which was the programme that FIFA designed and things like that. And it goes through various different things like sort of you just your pulse raise and then it goes into different types of movements. So running around partners and stuff like that, clattering into each other, shoulder bashing and stuff. But then it has a strengthening element to it. So like lunges and then Nordic hamstrings is one of their big ones and making like sort of planks and side planks come into a part of it. But one of the researches that I've done looking at it, there's a significant inc- decrease in non-contact ACLs by 67% of all participants who do pre-preventive injury things like that or prescribed programs, which the FIFA 11 plus was. But the problem that you get is that the coaches then move away from it. They do it for a couple of months and then they move off and they stop doing it. So I read the Sky Sports article that was about all the sort of the ACLs going on at the moment and they started promoting a different program. And I was thinking... Oh, I think we've lost him there. Building in some Um yeah, so building building some robust circuits for these common injury sites for some of these individual uh, individual uh, athletes. Uh, but I guess for team sports, like you said, 
it's probably a lot more difficult to incorporate those sorts of things and that might sort of phase out and, and phase in now and again but it needs to be something on a consistent basis to um yeah. so, so decrease the risk of these injuries and this is this will be the interesting thing when we start to chat about the arsenal situation later on what is their warm-up protocols for both matches and for training sessions because obviously as they go professional they're going to start doing more and more they're going to be trained i think they're training mm-hmm. four or five times a week now whereas before they might have only been training once or twice so they might have been able to do other stuff outside of their set sessions to make sure they're injury preventing whereas now if they're doing so yeah. much time at the club they're probably expecting the club to do it for them. But if they're not, if this program, if these type of things are, aren't in place, these robust yeah. sort of, because that is all FIFA 11 plus is really a circuit. Like you're saying yeah. there. Yeah. And it's just to make sure that they're creating that neural pathway. So the messages from the brain yeah. to the muscle are there on a regular basis. Injuries will happen. Yeah. You can't, you can't fully prevent them all the time. But, yeah. all, but if you've not got the pathways in there, then, the injury is more likely to, or it's got a higher potential to happen, doesn't it? Yeah. So I just yeah. think that that could be one of the big problems that potentially elite sport or, well, sports have is that they don't give the athletes enough time to build up the neuromuscular side of things. Yeah. Um, I think so it's, that- it's all, it all comes down to this, like, scheduling, doesn't it? It's, it's what does the athlete... Um, I guess need and trying to schedule things around other factors. So, like you're saying about if they've got skill-based training, SNC, they might have some additional, like we're talking about robustness-based stuff. It's trying to make sure they're getting adequate amounts of all of these things, not doing too much of one and not enough of the other. But it gets quite tough at these elite levels when they're that schedule's so full and they're doing so much, it's, it's probably quite difficult to balance all of these things. And I think that's one thing that maybe potentially it could be a, an issue with maybe a scheduling balance of these things. Yeah, I, th- I think... Sorry, Fred, do you want to go? Go on, go. On, go. No, I was just going to say, I think you're right. And when we're looking at... Well, when we start to talk about Arsenal a little bit later on, you see the season that they, those, they've had. Because I think they're in the Champions League as well as the league form and I think they got quite far in their FA in the female FA Cup so that's a big load especially training load as well as then actual competitive load that's going through them so if they've not if the schedule's that tight maybe the coaches have decided I'll tell you what we won't do that today and before you know it it's been two three four weeks and they've not done any of it so this is why if you can find stuff that's simple and easy to implement and be part of the regular routine then the athlete gets familiar with it and they know how to go through that yeah. i am um, yeah i think with the, let's let's move on to arsenal because i think there's this is it's a good time to do it now we're discussing it i mean yeah. it's very <clears throat> sort of conspiracy now because we don't know what goes on over there yeah. um i'm an arsenal fan so i can talk a little bit bit more about the history and and i, I do follow the women i did go to see them a couple of times last year i was there when vine rotter went down at the Emirates, um, off the ball, all four of them were non-contact. I think the worrying thing for me is that I know you we, you said a minute ago, Tom, we can't we can't take out risk factor. We can't do that. We can try and decrease it. The scary thing for me is this is this constant ACL problem in, in especially in female football, which is yeah. non-contact. Um, so we can't take the risk away of someone getting chopped in half. We can't take that away. That happens, like you said, yours were contact. Um, mm. 
you can you can do all you want injury prevention wise. If someone smashes you in the leg, there's not a lot you can do with that. The the scary thing for me is this, is this off the ball, basically not even going into a tackle, will be jogging along the pitch or sprinting for a ball and they're gone. Um, so that's the scary thing for me. I understand what you're saying about the loading of the games and stuff, but the male counterparts do that as well. They go yeah. far in competitions. They go deep in competitions. And I Definitely. don't buy that about scheduling because those elite level teams now, particularly we're talking about Arsenal, they're involved at Colney Training Centre every day. So those guys are full-time professionals. They're at Colney every day. They've got access to physios. They've got access to gyms, masses, S&C coaches. Where's the issue? And I, I personally think the issue is around loading and not monitoring it properly because they're in the same setting as their male counterparts. So yeah. what are they not getting? Or what's causing them to have the injuries that they're having that the male counterparts aren't getting? Um, so I, I understand that I understand that maybe at a grassroots level, if you're playing a lot of games and you don't have access to SNC because it's expensive and I get all that, that makes sense to me. Like too many games, maybe not missing a session. But I think at an elite level, Arsenal, I can't see Arsenal Football Club. Well, I'd like not to not think so. But they're going, I will miss a gym session today, girls. Let's go and do a one-on-one shooting session. Um, I'd assume so as well. I'd like to think so. And you look at when you're comparing both the Arsenal teams, the men didn't exactly have a small season, did they? They were playing. And I don't know if they even got one ACL in the men's team. Nope, not one, mate. No injuries. Is it back to what we talked about earlier on in the podcast, that the men's side of it, they've had this training history. They've had years of building up some sort of neuromuscular pathways in cutting, landing, twisting, turning. Whereas if the females have only come into the sport later on in their development in life, does that mean that they haven't got that neural pathway the same? I don't know. I'm not sure. Mm. But I would say you're right. I think there's something that they're not monitoring, particularly at Arsenal, if they've had that many, whether it's they've arbitrary just let the girls go in the gym and they've told them the plan that they want them to do, but they're not watching it. I'd like to think that's not the case because as if we were SNC guys working down there, we'd be monitoring the girls all the time, wouldn't we? We'd be wanting to be on top of it. So I'd like to think the professionals there are doing that. Is is it something that I think, and I think this is what might have ha- might be happening in the WSL, because it's not just Arsenal that have had their fair share of um, injuries. I think other teams have, and there's been quite a few ACLs within the WSL itself. Is it the scrutiny that's coming into it? So maybe they still do the warm-up, they might do it, but rather than doing two sets of the exercise, they're only doing one set of it. So again, they're not quite getting that same load coming in mm-hmm. to develop the neural pathways. It's a really tough subject because I don't want to speculate that Arsenal aren't doing this and Arsenal aren't doing that because they probably are. Yeah, I know so, I know. Jonas Eichel, the manager, has already said there'll be an internal investigation. Um, but yeah. he's, he, he he follows the classic line of there needs to be more research, more funding, more this, more that from everyone else. But he's like, we do need to look at internal. Um, I also think the big issue as well is 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 facility because even though they're getting the best facilities of training, they're not playing at the Emirates. These girls, Chelsea aren't playing at Stamford Bridge. They're playing on they're playing on fields still. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know Emma Hayes had this problem with the games getting called off during the winter. All the men are playing on undersoil, heated pitches, bit of snow, bit of ice crack on the girls are playing on waterlogged frozen pitches basically yeah. it's, it's basically a farm with or, a stand around it or all weather pitches because if you have a look at the rate of acl tears in the nfl 
and in the American Football League, they're all the majority of their pitches are AstroTurf style pitches. Yeah. And is that one of the big, big influential factors? So then you'd look at the the boots or the the studs that they're wearing, which yet yeah, if you look into the female side of it, this is something again, three lads sat on a podcast talking about female ACLs. We probably didn't realise that boots are male boots, but females having to play in a male boot. So here's the here's that quote uh from Emma Ross, I think it was. Uh, no, sorry. Um, Dr. Uh, Katrine Oakham Krieger pointed to soccer cleats, American, uh, being geared towards men's feet as an injury factor, uh, as men's and women's feet differ in shape and volume. Uh, many manufacturers have begun to develop a women's specific boot, uh, which should be available for this summer's World Cup. But I mean, we're in the, we're talking about 2023 here. Um, mm. yeah. After, after we've had, like uh, you said, Tom, didn't you? The, the, the girl from Barcelona, who's the world's best player. Um, yeah. He's gone down with an ACL, so we're looking at we're looking at high-profile players at Arsenal, all internationals. Uh, Vivian Medim is probably the best player for well, she was the best player for Holland. You're looking at Beth Mead, who was the player of the tournament in the Euros, and you're looking at the best player in the world at Barcelona, all going down with ACL injuries. I mean, I don't think Messi, Ronaldo, yeah. and Gareth Bale went down with ACLs at the same time, did they? No, and those girls, being the professionals that they are, I'm sure they're doing some form of SNC. I like to think they're doing the correct exercises to make sure that they're strengthening the areas that they need to strengthen that will help prevent these type of injuries. So then you've got to look at something else. Is and it I'm the sure, picture? I'm sure their diet's great as well. I'm sure they're not. I'm sure they're not cutting corners there either. So yeah, I think exactly. I, I think you then got to look at we've got to look at external things, haven't you? Such as pitches, um, pitch, um, general boots. I think the boot could be a really big one because if they know already, if we we know from research and history anatomically females have that q angle so there is that predisposition that means that the load through the foot is going to go into a slightly different point in the foot rather than the male's foot which you see what i mean it's there's potential that the inside of the foot loaded more Mm -hmm. so maybe you have to have or in a slightly different way in a female boot to mean that the knee doesn't have the tendency to roll inwards I don't, it'll be interesting to see if um, they do release those football boots for this, the summer. Because I think it's the summer the World Cup's going on for the females, I think. Yeah, is I it think this? Kicks off in July, I think, mate. So it's not, yeah, it's not far away. Um, um, and it, what, I think what really gets me with this as well, that technology is there. I mean, we live in little sleepy Norfolk and I can go and get a pair of running shoes built up tomorrow. Yeah. For, yeah. for my feet. I mean, I've got, a, I've got flat feet, so I've got a slight inward tilt on my foot. And I can go and get a pair of running shoes built up tomorrow. That technology has been around for years. And again, maybe is, is it the society thing that we go back to actually, do you know what? There are only women. Doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just sort of like, oh, they'll be fine. It's sport. It's football. You'll have to wear football boots. Rather yeah. than looking at the individuals who are playing, you've just put it as a collective sport and you've just gone, oh, that, that'll be fine for them. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think there's a few different things that influence females being more susceptible to the injury but then i think societal and the environment environmental problems or environmental challenges that you've created are the main reasons why particularly in football they seem to <laughs> so yeah we were on the subject of uh we were on the subject of football boots um so yeah i i agree tom i mean like you say q angle and stuff can affect the the way they they, they pressure their foot and stuff and this technology this technology must be around so i know in cricket for example female cricketers play with a slightly lighter and smaller ball um 
I know that doesn't prevent ACL injuries per se, but there's other sports are doing certain things. They bring the boundary in slightly. Um, obviously, female hurdlers jump over a slightly smaller hurdle. Um, there's, so other sports are, are creating yeah. different. Are creating different. Um, uh, what do you like? Uh, they're creating different like parameters. Parameters, yeah, for females to be able to play the sport. Um, like, I mean, I can't talk. I've got small hands, but. I'm sure the average female hand is smaller than a male. So having a smaller light cricket ball makes sense because you're probably going to prevent things later on, like wrist injuries, finger injuries, et cetera. Um, the ball, I don't think is any softer. Um, it's just, it's just a smaller, lighter ball. Um, so other sports are doing it. Um, I think also in females rugby, do they play on a slightly smaller goalpost? I'm not entirely sure. Um, no. But, but yes, yeah, I mean, I mean, football, I think is way behind. And, and going back to the, the Arsenal thing, um, there could be, like I said, there could be many external factors, but I think, I think for Arsenal themselves, they've got, to, they've got to look internally because I know it's, a, I know it's an issue, but I think it's too much of an easy call to say, do you know what? It's an issue in female football. I think when you have four <laughs> in a season, and it happens to be four of your top players, and mm. because they're four of your best players, they're playing the most football. Um, I think, I think that's where it's linked. So yeah. there's got to be a loading issue, right? Either they're training too much, they're not, or they're not training enough. They're not doing enough of their S and C. They're not doing enough of something. Um, I think, I think there's got to be an issue there. I think it'll be for Arsenal. It might have to be looking at the fatigue levels, and I don't yeah. know, is the female game five subs like the male game is, or is it still a three sub rule? I'm I think not, it's five. I, yeah, I'm not fully sure. But then are they rotating their squad enough? Because obviously, if they get that amount of games in, and females are generally smaller than males, so therefore they're going to have to cover further distances within a game, aren't they? To run mm-hmm. up and down the pitch, just naturally biology-wise, they're going to have to travel further. So fatigue levels could potentially be higher. They might be doing the right S and C stuff, but if you if you're already tired from doing your S and C, and then you're playing a match, and then you you've got a couple of days recovery to go straight back into another high intensity match. And I don't know, you'd have to look, were they, are the injuries towards the end of the game or are they towards the beginning of the game? So if it's towards the end of the game, that could highlight that potentially it's the sub-rule that they might need to look at or Arsenal might need to look at their policy of, right, you've played X amount of minutes this month. We're going to have to bring you off for the next two games just to make sure you don't start to go overloaded and you start to come into the risk factors section. See what I mean? So, and I, I also a, think that links into the skill acquisition. Yeah, and I also think that links into the skill acquisition, Tom, because we've said about there's so much pressure from the outside talking about how maybe they're not as good as the men. So, but those games are more probably those <laughs> those WSL games are probably quicker, more competitive than they've ever been. Um, yeah. I remember ten years ago, like fifteen years ago, Arsenal won everything. They were the only women's team. Um, yeah. Really, They're, whereas now there's you've got Chelsea, Man City, Man United. They've all put money into the game. This become as more money gets put in the game, they get better players. The players they're playing at a higher standard. The games are more competitive. The games are quicker. Um, the girls are probably becoming more powerful through, through having S and C based style training. And then all of a sudden the skill level goes up. And if the fitness levels are staying the same, like you say they fatigue quicker, then or they're not monitoring that fatigue level. That might be your issue as well. Is that the games are so competitive now, and the games are at a higher standard that actually, if they're not monitoring that fatigue, if they're already monitoring the fatigue, they're saying they did five, six, seven, eight years ago. Actually, they're six, seven years behind. Yeah, agreed, yeah. agreed. And one of the ones, so the little bit of research I did into it, um, part of the British Medical Sports Journal, 
uh, it was a 2021 sort of meta-analysis, so it's looked at a massive range of different ones. And one of their big things that's running throughout the whole thing is that there's not just one factor to all this. It's a detailed web or a, 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 a big collective of issues all manifesting themselves into a perfect storm situation. So is the equipment emails? Is the loading correct? Are they doing the right SNC around it? But then are they monitoring how they're actually doing and are they overtraining? Because now they're trying to reach the level of the elite men when they're trying to do it after 10, 15 years of being properly in the limelight, whereas men have had 50-odd years of being able to do this. Look at look at this standard of football back in the in the 90s even. You're not getting teams passing it around and high-pressing like you do nowadays. So if the female game's trying to jump levels so quickly, like you said there, Fred, are they doing the fitness stuff or is the fitness matching the skill levels that they're trying to keep going with yeah we've all been there we've all been there we've all competed we've all done sports and you know you, we've all been at a higher level than we probably should have been in in different levels of sports and I've done it with school I mean I was a bit of a I was a rubbish footballer really but you go and play for the school team and all of a sudden you've got to compete at that level it's tough and actually mm. I think if, if if some of these girls aren't at the right fitness levels and but they're good enough skill wise and then jumping, I mean, prime example, he's not a female, but it's Gareth Bale. Has anyone seen, have you seen the picture of him at Tottenham to him at Real Madrid? The guy's a different yeah. animal. The guy's different a different bit. animal. Yeah, he's like a sort of a weedy kind of guy at Spurs to this absolute ripped machine beast at Real Madrid. Because the level he went from to the level he went to, where the level he went to, he needed that level of fitness just to be able to do that. His skill acquisition was good enough, otherwise Real Madrid wouldn't have bought him. But mm. in order to compete that, in order to compete at that level consistently and to maintain <clears> that, you have to be you have to be be able to take that, don't you? You have to have the, the training load there. And yeah. are are these girls getting that training load? I don't, this is where the spec. I think this is the, the second half of the podcast has been mainly speculation, but I think mm. there's a there's, there's there's a lot still to be done. I think there's a lot to be. A lot what to be I done. and I doubt Arsenal are going to do it, but I'd love them to publicise what their findings are about why they feel they've had all this. If they do the research into it, if they do the internal investigation. I'd love them to be able to produce, promote it and just say, look, this is where we fell foul and maybe highlight it to other female teams as well within the league and maybe even highlight it to the FA. Because like you said, is the pitches the correct size for them? Are, are the dimensions of the of the game, is it correct? Are they, play, are they playing with a ball that's too big? All that type of stuff, you know what I mean? And it'll be an interesting thing to see if they ever do, I, I doubt Arsenal will because it might highlight something that they don't want it to highlight. But I think there's there's a good couple of different reasons why it's going. And unless we had an inside sort of weighing inside Arsenal and finding it out, I think it's always just going to be speculation from us. And isn't that world. isn't that sentence there the, the problem of sport? People aren't yes. willing to go hold their hands up and go, look, we messed up. But so you guys don't yeah. mess up for us guys that are maybe not in an elite sport environment, but train elite athletes. I mean, we've, 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 we, I know I can speak for me and George, we've trained guys that compete at a really high level in, in different sports, not just, not just football. But if we had yeah. the information to hand, that would be, that'd be really helpful for us going forward well, to working with female athletes. And I think it's something that maybe, again, this is societal issues that we're always a closed book. We don't want to be picked apart do we We don't want to look like we're vulnerable one of my favorite books in life is by Matthew Sayed and it's black box thinking 
which is all about learning from your failures. And it highlights the aviation industry, how there's never the same crash because the plane tells people what's happened during that crash. And they honestly look at it and they don't blame the pilots. They don't blame people. They just look at what's happened and what they can put in place to stop it from happening again. Mm-hmm. So I'd love yeah. us to do something to show, look, this is why we think we've had so many ACLs this year. We've done the loading correctly. We've tried to make sure we're monitoring their fatigue levels, but we found that the boots that the girls are wearing are a bit wrong. And we've potentially, we think the pictures are a little bit too big and it's meant our girls are fatigued quicker than what we expected them to. Because we've had more games this year than we expected. I don't know. It'll be an interesting one to come out or they'll come out and say, oh yeah, we stacked off the SNC and we stopped doing it because we thought we'd try and get them better footballers. I don't know. It'll be an interesting thing see what they bring out but yeah it's if they um, say if that if that ever comes up fingers crossed fingers crossed. uh george i mean i know you know you're not a football person but i mean have you done any what's, what's been your findings on i don't know if you've done much research into the arsenal stuff well, but just kind of building building on what tom was saying about the uh, meta-analysis where, where kind of like what they kind of come to the conclusion of is there's multiple factors that kind of uh that link together and I think that kind of goes for not just for ACL injuries and not just for women but just for any injury ever it's most always most likely always an accumulation of some form of stress that creates the injury whether it's too much load whether it's um the ground they're running on isn't isn't appropriate or the or the footwear isn't appropriate it's something they're doing to accumulate a, a bunch of stress and not monitoring exactly how much of that stress has been put upon these participants i think like like you said it's it's probably more of the monitoring that it is uh probably making the difference it's trying to find what are all of these factors and i guess because it's still quite new it's probably quite difficult to determine exactly how much stress is the appropriate amount or is too much or is too little to adapt and change and blah 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 so I think uh, another thing Tom said, with these pools of participants being so small, it's very difficult to do the, or find the research. But now as, it, as the sport gets bigger and more popularised, we might start seeing more, more of these uh, bits of research being done um, as these pools get larger and hopefully some of these issues start getting clean, cleaned up. And, and I think it starts in places like this. So... I know we've discussed, we made a bit of a bit of a joke earlier, three old three men discussing female injuries, but actually, with I mean, I don't know of any other podcast discussing ACL injuries in females. And even though this is pretty small time, I think I think these conversations need to be had by males and by females because the more guys who are like minded like us can get together and go, actually, there's we're working in the industry every day, so we're not just we're not guys that have just a football fan sitting at the pub going, oh, these women ACL injuries are bad. We're, we're guys that are working in the industry and know our stuff and know where to find this information and, and, and know where to find reliable information. We can, we can cipher out what is good and what is bad information. And the fact that all three of us have said, we can't find anything really that's that great or that deep dive is a bit of an issue. And I think, I think people need to have more, more conversations like this around sport and around S&C and around female training. Otherwise, we'll never get to the bottom of it because if people don't want to have the discussion, people won't do the research. Yeah, I think you're great. Yeah, I think both of those, I like George's point in saying that it's not just the ACL injury. 
it is every injury. And then the problem that people get is they want one definitive reason why the injuries occurred. And most of the time, like George was saying there, there's multiple factors that are coming into it. He's, he's mentioned a load of physical sort of ones and environmental ones. But what about the, the emotional state of it? If you're mentally yeah, fatigued, <laughs> you know what I mean? And these, again, the scrutiny that's potentially coming into the girls' football now, they, these girls wouldn't have expected or had this before, experienced this sort of thing. So are they having the, the switch-off time? Are they able to switch off and completely recover? Or are they always sort of thinking about it? So therefore, the training that they're doing is compounding that and they're never actually fully getting back to 100%. And I guess as well, they're, and, what they're, what they're promoting is equal, yeah. they're looking for equal billing, aren't they? Whenever you hear women's footballers speak, they're speaking about equal billing. They're talking about, we want to be up there with the men. We want to be up there with sponsorship deals, wages, um, media. I'm sure they do. And they deserve to be there. They yeah. deserve to get there. There's no reason why in society nowadays, in the 21st century, that females have to be second-class sports citizens. But that's not what I mean. They're spending a lot of time. They're, they're, they said they're probably not recovering, are they? Because a lot of these girls, like footballers, mm. you don't see you don't see Cristiano Ronaldo do a football match. Then he does his post match interview. He then goes back and rests. These girls are going out on like Graham Norton and doing shows about yeah. writing books to encourage girls into football. They, they they've got a lot of more media duty than the, yeah. the male counterpart has. Definitely, because their sports in the infancy in that sense. So they're yeah. trying to create that mass participation. So there's more other external factors that are coming into it maybe not just the sporting world that they're involved in and like you said they're going on shows. so rather than going home and sitting in their ice bath like Cristiano Ronaldo or in his ice chamber whatever he affords in his big mansion in Saudi Arabia nowadays but the girls won't have that opportunity will they if they're going stay going to Jay, um, Graham Norton staying on until 10 11 o'clock at night going home having four or five hours sleep and then expected to get up for a big long journey from London up to Manchester, like the fatigue levels will be there. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. And like I said, I just hope that whether it's Arsenal will do it, considering they've had the most, but I just hope a couple of football clubs or maybe the the women's FA bring out a big analysis of what's gone wrong within the sport in terms of that sort of stuff and what they feel they could change. And I think... Yeah, I agree, and I think I think women's sport in general can 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 make a real effort on on this. And I think I think collective collaboration as well between not just women's sport but all sport around all injuries, um, mm. making sure that making sure that, that that these guys are collaborating and 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 like I say, publishing publishing their findings so that guys like us who are who are still in the industry every day and, and working with female athletes and and female clients. And- Particularly you guys, you guys are more in the general public SNC sort of world. You'll be getting them from a younger age. So you'll be giving them that training history. So if anything, yeah, it's important for the football clubs to understand it, but it's even more important for you guys to get that information. So then pass on to your younger participants, your younger athletes that you coach about how important this sort of stuff is mm-hmm. and the reason behind it. And yeah. So, um, but even in your world of rehab, Tom, I mean, if you've got females that have done their ACLs through their work, I mean, mm. at the moment, you're, there's, there's not a lot out there, is there? But even for you guys that are working in sort of the rehab side of things, the, the more information yeah. that's available, the, the better that everyone is, right? Always, always. We always want more and more research, particularly in the rehab world, just to make sure that we're doing best practice every time. So, I think every so often we do in service trainings and things like that, we've had. 
a guy who's come from Manchester, who's the big ACL man in Manchester, who's worked with a lot of year athletes around there. He works with the British Taekwondo and things. And they don't tend to do too much different between male and female in their rehab roles. Again, he's had quite good success with his rehab, so I wouldn't say he's doing the wrong things, but there might be some things that we're missing out on because there's there's a crazy stat that only... It was in this articles that I was reading. It was 60-odd percent of people only get back to the level that they were pre-injury. Mm-hmm. So there's a 30-odd percent of people who are still not achieving the level that they had before injury-wise. And is it because there's something that's flawed in their rehab? I mean, how many times do you hear it just in general, just in football, football terms? Oh, they've it's, done their ACL, they're never yeah, the speculation same again. again, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, how many times do you hear that in sport yeah. where they go, oh, they've done their ACL, they're never the same again? It's almost like a given, but you don't hear that for any other injury, do you? Oh, they broke their arm, they're never the same again, or they've done this, they're never the same again. <clears throat> Actually, yeah. why, why should it be like that? I know it's a big injury, but if there's if there's information around it, it's not even research, it's, it's, it's just information. It's information being published. I'm sure there's plenty of research out there that just isn't available. Well, this is the other, yeah, most research you've got to pay for, unfortunately, nowadays, if it's decent stuff. You get some things like what I've found in the um, British Sports Medical Journal, stuff like that, that they publish for free, but not everything gets published for free. Yeah. So, yeah, it's finding the right information and having access to the right information as well. Cool. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Um, so I think I think the summary of that is that essentially we need, we need more. Um, we need more info. We need more research. But... Mm. For those guys that listen to this podcast that are working day to day, especially those of you that are working with female athletes, just keep plugging away and keep keep having the conversation because the more we have the conversation, um, hopefully the more we can the more we can push for these big organisations to to help us little guys out. And the more the big organisations do, the more we're supporting the females at the top level. But the more we support the females at the top level, the more we can support the the females coming through at grassroots level as well. Um, yeah. George, obviously, thank you as always, mate. Always fun, Tom. Thanks for joining us as well, mate. It's always a, it's always good to have you on and a good insight yeah, as well. Mate. So, uh, yeah, thanks for joining yeah. us. Thank you very much. And I'd just say um, for all coaches, like what George was saying, create a re- a robust program that targets the muscle groups. Because yeah, there's not a lot environmentally that we can do as coaches to change things unless we have these conversations and hopefully highlight it. But as a coach, look at what you do and try and start implementing robust programs. If you're not sure. Look up, there's loads of ACL preventative ones, but I'd big up the FIFA 11 plus. I think that's a great one. Cool. Yeah.